So it is Thursday night, Leon, because we normally record on Thursday nights. And we're recording tonight on the 10th, which is the last recording Thursday before daylight savings time. After which your region and all the other insane areas on this planet decide to move our clocks one hour for reasons. Anyway, that's the reason it's just you and me tonight. (laughs) Shit is what it is. Look, listen, I think I I heard today that it was Benjamin Franklin that did that. And I, I think the more and more I think about the contributions of Benjamin Franklin, I think they're almost all completely wiped out by that contribution of daylight savings. Net negative. Am I right? Net negative. podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is our own Baron of Bourbon, the Regent of Rage, the oligarch of Orange County. <laughs> Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. I just never thought in my life I'd be introduced so well. And, uh, you know, I tear up every time you I get an introduction from you, even though I know secretly deep down you are laughing on the inside. Thank you. Thank you, Danny, for that introduction. So tasty, isn't it? Do you like, I I keep trying to mix it up. I brought you something Mm -hmm. new. I was hoping to give Mr. Jones a new intro, but Mr. Jones will not be joining us tonight because whatever his intro is, it's got to be the guy who's never here. It's got to be the Earl of Absenteeism. You know I'm better as the guy who isn't here. (laughs) We got to know from Mr. Jones that the Prince of Walnut Creek is teething again. So uh, he's going to be very much looking forward to next week's episode when our daylight savings malarkey is in effect. And we will be recording at the same time. For those of you listening at home, uh, amongst the Bobs, I am in Arizona and... My vice hosts are in California, thus we record one hour off from each other for so many months during the year. So we're getting into the hot part of the season. Very hot. We're going to start recording at the same time. Maybe sparks will fly. Who knows? What is your brown, sir? Tonight's brown is brought to you by Mr. Jones, who did not make it tonight. As you did. But you guys, he was uh, reaching out about a specific type of bourbon and... Asked if any of us tried it. Smoke Wagon. That is what I'm drinking tonight. It's the mm-hmm. small batch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't uh, I don't know that this <laughs> is the easiest thing to find out there. Um, really? But it's, it's good. It's, it's got some, some bite to it. I'm is a it fan. a local brew? It's Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas. Yeah. Exciting. Yep. It's, okay. uh, it's a good one. I mean, this, this one is... 100 proof on the nose. Okay. And uh, yeah, but this is a small batch one. It's, it's good. It's we're both, we're both rocking 100 proof tonight. Whenever I, when I saw the term smoke wagon, I immediately thought of Kurt Russell and tombstone. Oh yeah. One of the times that he faced off against one of the bad guys, he was like, do it. 
Yank skin that smoke. It. Yeah, skin it. Yank that smoke wagon and go to work. And I was like, whoa, that's okay. <laughs> smoke, jerk that smoke wagon and see what happens. Yeah, that's it. That's the line. Mm-hmm. Like, that shit holds up. I'd use that today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah somebody, somebody steps to you at a party and like, jerk that smoke wagon and go to work. <laughs> what, kind <of> re- <laughs> what kind of reaction do you think you'd get? Like, hey, man. You'd get, that's, uh, you'd get hit with a sexual harassment. Yeah, <laughs> right immediately. That's what you triggered. <laughs> in honor of you, the, you in honor of the man? brown bracket, sir, which I think we're we're going to reboot at some point. You and I texted mm-hmm. offline about that today. We're going to get the brown bracket going again for 2022, and the winner of last year's brown bracket was a little known distillery in Kentucky known as Knob Creek. <laughs> I have decided to partake of Knob Creek. That's a good pick. May fortune ever be in its favor, but it's going up against a new legion for the brown bracket this year. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'd like to like the magic 25 or what number we're at now. Oh, we're at the 50 baby. The bobs, the bobs are a half a C note. We're getting up there. I think this year, uh, you know, I think we had a pretty good mix last year of uh, single, single barrel and small batch and yeah and for the record remember for the bobs listening at home leon put this whole bracket together this is leon's dream so well done sir oh thank you uh but i think what we'll do this year is possibly maybe even have more than just bourbon and uh and see how it holds up especially in the blind taste test so that's that's what i'm looking at this year and uh, so if you have any suggestions out there uh yeah well obviously yeah um Good time to plug the show, Leon. Bottle of Brown at gmail.com. You can also call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, for Leon, or for Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air and we'll answer your questions. And uh, for the Bob Bottle of Brown, Brown Bracket coming up 2022, we are soliciting recommendations. So the time this airs, we should be able to get some feedback uh, I got some episodes in the backlogs. So I have to make sure I actually publish the episode, Leon, so that we can actually take some feedback. Uh, the other thing that I would say is maybe we don't have to do 16 this time, or if we do 16, maybe we do bourbon and scotch for me. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Mr. Jones throws in a category of whiskey that he likes. And then I thought the fourth category would be non whiskeys mm. um it adds a little bit of a seating to it as tournaments go so obviously one non-whiskey is going to make it to the final four under this model and so if you believe that bottle of brown is going to stay true to itself then it's very clear that non-whiskeys will get knocked out so maybe you don't have to worry but i love the idea of a bourbon going up against a scotch going up against a non whiskey like a mezcal because we're fans of mezcal here at the bottle of brown podcast and yeah. i wonder and if there, maybe that there's rums out there they're aging in whiskey barrels you know yeah so we could do oh that's a good one all right mm-hmm. so the important thing is that we can get them because we're scattered across the country so whatever we pick we all have to have access to yeah it. yeah yeah that's true that's true it's a matter of access uh so so mezcal is made by smoking the agave, but there is no smoke involved in the bourbon process. Is that correct? Uh, only the barrel. So they do, yeah. they do smoke the barrel. 
They char the barrel, really. They char the barrel. Okay, so scotch yeah. has a smoky feel to it. Bourbon, they char the barrel. Mezcal, they char the agave. So maybe smoke is a prerequisite. Are there any smoked processes in rum? Mm. I don't know enough about rum to honestly speak about it. Yeah, good answer. Food for thought. Yep. With that being said, let's... Uh, Let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Today's Talk About Brown comes to us from our friends over at the Whiskey Advocate. Not a sponsor of the show yet. I stress yet. This one is Whiskey Barrel Storage 101. All about warehouses. So this is an old one, Leon. This is dated June 11th, 2020. But I was curious about this uh, for two reasons. One, we're going to talk about the book Pappy Land, which Mm -hmm. is about the Van Winkle family. Uh, you guys have copies of that book. I just finished it. I loved it. Uh, just because I'm a whiskey buff, but it was actually, it was a pretty good, it's a short book. It's a quick read. It was an interesting expose of the Van Winkle family. And part of reading it will make you very frustrated that Pappy Van Winkle is so expensive when the guy that stills the stuff is angry that it's so expensive, but I digress. It is what it is. (laughs) He brought forth the idea of the Rick house and how he makes his uh, bourbon. He makes it in the Stitzel Weller factory. He had a, yeah, he had a warehouse in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And it kind of goes into the whole lore of the state of Kentucky and how exciting the state of Kentucky is and so on and so forth. Uh, So I was very intrigued about that because I think you remember you saying something about Weller is the same recipe as Mm -hmm. Pappy only in a different place in the warehouse. So that captured and age. Okay. Very good. Yeah. That captured my imagination. And then Mr. Jones bought us each a bottle called Rick house, which is the physical location in which the precious bourbon is made. So the article breaks in by some estimates up to 70% of whiskey's flavor comes from the barrel. Hence, much attention is paid to the most minuscule details of the barrel itself from the provenance of the wood, which we talked about, to Mm -hmm. the depth of the char, which we haven't really talked about, and what liquid it formerly held, which we have talked about. What's often ignored is how the barrels are stored, a variable that can have profound effects on the whiskey's final flavor, which Leon just mentioned. There are three main types of barrel storage, rickhouse, palletized warehouse, and dunnage. Each has its benefits and drawbacks. The same whiskey aged in different environments can turn out tasting quite different by the end, and that can actually be advantageous. So let's talk about the Rickhouse. Larger American whiskey distilleries generally store their barrels in racked warehouses, known as Rickhouses or Rackhouses, or palletized warehouses. Rickhouses have barrels stored horizontally on racks, also known as ricks, usually stacked three high. Plenty of room for air circulation around the sides and the ends. The buildings are made from a variety of materials, tin, brick, wood, concrete, for the most part, lack artificial climate control, which means no air conditioning in the summer, no heating in the winter, 
The result, if you're in Kentucky or similar climates, is extreme seasonal fluctuation in temperature, especially on higher floors, which causes the liquid in the barrels to expand when it's hot and contract when it's cold. As Leon, you've spoken about on previous episodes of the pod. Now, rick houses are labor intensive. Getting barrels into and out of the ricks requires a lot of brute strength on the part of trained workers. Enter palletized warehouses in which barrels are placed on large wooden pallets, hence the name. Generally, four to six barrels per pallet stored vertically, one mm-hmm. pallet on top of another. This method saves space because the barrels are packed together more tightly and labor because multiple barrels can be moved at a time using a forklift rather than individually. Uh, but of course, palletizing has its drawbacks. Tightly stored barrels restrict airflow. Restricted airflow means a slower and different aging process. Storing mm-hmm. barrels vertically instead of horizontally with added pressure from the pallets stacked on top of each other also increases the chance of leaks. Sounds like a great solution, right? Not necessarily. The liquid does not age the same. Mm-mm. So, palletized warehouses work best where the climate is controlled either naturally, as in Scotland, which is cool and humid and lacks Kentucky's extreme temperature shifts, or artificially in warehouses that use heat cycling, alternating heating and cooling to mimic natural sequences. Uh, Woodford Reserve, which is one of Mr. Jones' favorites, uses this type of artificial climate control. It has traditional rickhouses, which have recently built six palletized warehouses with a seventh under construction. What are your thoughts on this, Leon, before we get on to Dunnage? So in the past, uh, we, we've talked about this, and I, I did a whole long speech about the difference between going to the Buffalo Trace Distillery, which is the rickhouse that you described. Uh, it, and let me tell you, it's, it's much higher than three <laughs> in a lot of those rickhouses. So... Uh, yeah, I, you'll, you'll see a very different look than that. Um, but the way they describe it, um, there's a lot of love. And I said, I said, when you go into a Rick house, the smell of going into it, it's a really damp, uh, damp smell. Not like, not like mildew or mold, but you can, you can feel that musk, musk or angels cut or whatever we've talked about in the past in there. The, um, one thing that they have to do, and they talk about it a lot there, not only are they on their side, but they rotate them every so often too. So they come up and they spin the bottle, right? And that exposes more of the liquid inside to more of the char in the barrel. For the wood, At least right? that's what they say. So that yeah, makes sense. Um, and, and that's why I think they get the robust flavors that they do. They also do a pretty good job of, even though the seasonality has a profound effect on the flavor, it, it still, they do a lot of consistent things and, and uh, you get a lot of, it's magical, I guess, when I see the the Rick House type uh, setup. And then to contrast that, I went over to the Bullet Distillery. Bullet, on the other hand, is state of the art. They are not that old. They don't have the history. They don't even want to try to have the history because how can you go up against the Four Roses and the Woodfords and the Buffalo Traces? You can't. Um, what they did do is do a lot of modernizing. They do things like the temperature control and up and down and trying to get it to go in and out. They do stack it vertically because they're all about volume. They're all about, um, you know, more with less and that's okay. 
They've never argued that they're the best tasting bourbon with the most history. What they are is a damn good mixing bourbon, I think, which is why they push so hard with the bartenders of the of the world. And they got a really good looking bottle and a great marketing team. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then you, well, I don't know. Uh, they didn't really talk about it too much here, but you know, there's even another step further. And we've talked about like Cleveland, right? They they get even crazier with how they try to uh, mature their bourbon. And I couldn't even tell you whether it's on its side or it's, or it's not. And then, you know, you take it even a step farther and are, are there Rick houses in Jefferson's ocean? Are those Rick houses on the boats when the boats are rocking back and forth? So <laughs> yeah, they there's, them down? there's so many things um, at play here. So I think, uh, it, and, and the other, the other thing, when I went to uh, Buffalo trace and, and you talked about a little bit on how the temperature changes higher than it does lower uh, that's when they poured the Eagle Rare, which some of you had, and then mm -hmm. Buffalo Trace. And they put mm -hmm. them in the glasses and they said, okay, you know, which one is which? And they didn't taste the same at all. But one of them was Buffalo Trace. One of them was Eagle Rare. He said they both have the same recipe and they both have been aged the same amount of time, just at different elevations in the Rick House. Mm -hmm. And they don't taste anything alike. So there's a lot to it. It's not just smoke being blown here. It's, it's exactly uh, everything you said, Danny. And it, it's Science. real. I, it's, it's, it's a real thing and it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to know about it. And obviously, uh, you know, when you reach, read more into this article, they talk about how they do it in, in Scotland as well. And yeah. And I like that for those of you that are uh, non bourbon bobs out there, the Balvini and Glenfiddich use palletized warehouses so this is not a uh this is not a kentucky exclusive it's certainly not a whiskey exclusive it's just a way of doing things right so we got about a minute left let's talk about dunnage so in scotland traditional means dunnage these single floor warehouses with earthen floors and stone walls regulate temperature and humidity Naturally, in a country with minimal seasonal variance, it always sucks in Scotland, from what I'm told, the climate <laughs> inside the warehouse remains consistent, which allows for slower, longer aging. This gives the spirit an extremely even and consistent maturation over the many years in casks. Casks are stacked only three high, which is a height of around seven feet, going back to 1898. For the Glen Lassau and the Benriach. So I'm a big Speyside guy. So this is interesting to me that the Speyside would have a better quality control than magical Kentucky. But I think that has to do a lot with the environment in which you make the stuff. So bourbon has lots of variety based on the inherent weather, whereas Scotland does not. And so your scotch is your scotch is your scotch. So that, that's eye-opening to me. Uh, to finish this up, warehouse variations. Other distilleries put their unique spin on barrel storage. Four Roses uses single-story rick houses, which provide good ventilation without the temperature extremes. And Michter's, which is a Mr. Jones favorite, uses traditional rick houses, but with only four stories instead of the seven or so common at most modern distilleries. Michter's also heat cycles its warehouses. Master of Maturation, Andrea Wilson, explains, we're trying to keep continuity of aging across all four floors and use heat cycling during the winter to increase the maturity of all the barrels in the house, 
similarly. This is very important to us because we do so much single barrel product and because our batches are so small as our tanks are only sized for the equivalent of 20 full barrels each. In conclusion, there's no perfect one size fits all way to store whiskey barrels and that's for the best. Variation that results from different maturation conditions means more diversity of flavor, giving drinkers new angles for enjoyment. While unpredictability can seem intimidating, in this case, it's something to embrace. Bucketing. I feel like you need to play that one clip from Billy Madison after that. We are all now dumber for listening to you. <laughs> and may God have mercy on No, we on are not. We are edumacated. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Today's business news comes to us from thevisualcapitalist.com. It is the 20 fastest growing jobs in the next decade. This one comes to us from a study done by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics who predicts that 11.9 million new jobs will be created between 2020 and 2030, Leon, a growth rate of 7.7%. Now, for the Bobs listening at home, there's a very nice colorful bubble graph on the webpage. And of course, like most episodes, uh, all episodes, if we were really good at this, we include the links from what we're talking about on the show notes, and you can follow along if you're listening. This particular article gives us the 20 most fastest growing jobs, as well as the 20 fastest declining jobs. So, Leon, you want to see these or you want me to surprise you? Surprise me. All right. I want to be, I want to be just like the listeners. All right. Then you got to close your eyes for this. Okay. Here we go. Top 10. We're going to do top five for time. Top five. You want to do declining or growing? Growing first. Growing. All right. Top five. You ready? Mm-hmm. Number five, physical therapist assistants. Assistant. Fascinating. Percentage of employment change in the next 10 years is 35%. Numeric employment change is about 33,000. We expect 33,000 more people to be physical therapist assistants. Median annual wage as of 2020, just under 60 grand. Okay. Physical therapist job. assistance. Probably because of our aging boomer population. All right, number four. You ready? Mm-hmm. Statisticians. Is that because 90% of all statistics are made up on the spot? Probably, but as you, a, I don't use a mouse when I use Excel, there's probably going to be a lot more people having to crunch and parse data. So you're going to need people that understand statistics. Again, same number, 35% employment change. The number is slightly lower, just under 15,000 people in the next 10 years. But we're looking at an average median annual wage in 2020 of $92,000. So being a statistician pays the monies. But if you use a mouse with Microsoft Excel, Leon, break (laughs) your face. (laughs) Number three. This is a good one. 
solar volta- photovoltaic installers. All solar day. panels. All day. All day. I agree. All day. Percentage of climate change, time. 52%. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at getting another 6,000 solar photovoltaic installers over the next 10 years. Although the money isn't that good. We're looking at $46,000 median annual wage in 2020. So absolutely, the number is going to rise skyrocketingly based on the current numbers, but it's not a lot of people and it's not a lot of money. I think Mitch Hedberg said it best when he said, I used to be a hot tar roofer. I remember that day. (laughs) I'm reminded of uh, Bill Burr's rant about uh, the hardest job in the world is being a mother. Yeah? You ever been a bald redhead roofing in summer? (laughs) Not interested in being on the roof in the summertime. Number two, nurse practitioners. You know what a nurse practitioner is, Leon? Yeah, a matter of fact, I in Ohio, my last two doctors were nurse practitioners because trying to get a doctor was damn near impossible. That is correct. <laughs> a nurse practitioner is not, in fact, a doctor. A nurse practitioner is a nurse who went through registered nurse training, which is not as extensive as a medical degree. However, they go through an additional course of study where they become as good as doctors to where they can subscribe drugs. They can do all the things that doctors do, but they're not doctors. They're not mm-hmm. D-O-C-T-O-R. They don't, have the, they don't have the acronym behind them, but they're basically doctors. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting one to me. It's a 52% predicted growth, 115,000 nurse practitioners over the next 10 years with a median annual wage in 2020 of 112 grand. That's low. It I seems low, doesn't it? Yeah. But they're basically doctors without being doctors. So does that mean they don't want to pay them? Yeah, it seems like it. Well, number one is the most interesting so far to me anyway, although it's kind of, it's familiar with the, along the lines of number three is wind turbine service technicians. Because mm. we're going to green energy and sustainability. So we're looking at a 68% increase. Well, in this is a very dangerous job. If you're talking about service those ones technicians. around the very top. I think so. Anybody ever gone out to Palm Springs in California, you've seen the entire farm out there. That's nasty business. And Mike Rowe did a dirty jobs for one of those. It was terrifying. Yeah. I would imagine it's terrifying. That's that's terrifying. There's action movies that talk about people dying on those things. Yeah. So, so what are they making? $200,000 a year? Uh, We're looking for just under 5,000 of those guys to be hired. So again, give you an idea. An idea. If we're looking for a 68% growth and we're only 5,000 jobs, that means there's not a lot of those guys out there now. Right. Or gals, equal opportunity, but they're only making 56 grand. Well, there's the problem, right? So they don't get hazard pay. The highest paying job on the top 10 is physician's assistant. We expect to have 40,000 of those in the next 10 years, and they make about $115,000. So a physician's assistant, right? if I'm hearing this right. The person that comes and talks higher, to you before the doctor shows up. Is a higher paid position than a nurse practitioner based on correct. this. That is correct. That is insanity. Based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the year 2020. Now, we can't take into account the uh, 7% inflation that's happened in the last year and, you know, gas and everything else at the time of recording this episode or through the goddamn roof. But it's interesting to me that physician's assistant 
physical therapist, nurse practitioner. One of the other ones on here is home health and personal care aides, as well as medical and health service managers. So we're looking at half of the top 10 jobs in the next 10 years are in the healthcare field. Hmm. I know it doesn't sound surprising, right? The boomers are getting older, but you still kind of, I have the same reaction as you, Leon. You're just kind of like, huh, okay. All right, are you ready for top 10 declining? Okay. All right. Apartment manager. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Number five, telephone operator. Yeah, I would say so. So one, they still fucking <laughs> exist. I was just going to say, is that even still? <laughs> is that right above Blockbuster? That's a agent? shit. That's, that's a fucking thing. All right, so telephone operators. Hilarious. You, well, there are still some people alive on this planet that dial zero and they want to talk to a person. So I, I get it. Just we're looking at a, yeah, we're looking at a 25% drop. We're going to lose about 1,200 of them, which doesn't sound like a lot. And they only make 37 grand. So all yeah. due respect, good riddance. Yeah. Voice over IP. Uh, this is interesting. Cutters and trimmers by hand. Gardeners. Huh. We're going to lose gardeners. 30% no decline. We're going to lose 2,400 of them over the next 10 years, but they only make 31 grand. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they're one of the lowest salaries on the on the board. So good riddance. This is interesting to me because I might want to challenge this given recent developments as of March 10th. Number three is nuclear power reactor operators. Yeah. We're gonna I lose see that. We're gonna lose one third of them over the next 10 years. Approximately 1,800 of those jobs will disappear. They make hundred and four thousand dollars. <sighs> Well, the theme here is very strong, right? The jobs growing are clean energy jobs. The jobs mm -hmm. declining, according to this survey, of course, declining are, I don't even know that nuclear is a dirty type of energy. Old energy? Debate that. Uh, yeah, let's go old energy. There That's you go. That's really good. And it's all because of the series Chernobyl. Which was really, really good and really long. And terrifying. Yeah, and terrifying. And the fact that the Russians now have control over Chernobyl is kind of like, mm. we saw yeah. I don't know if they're special. better or worse than Ukrainians. You know what I mean? Mm. Anyway. Way, no good. <laughs> Number two. Parking enforcement workers. Huh. Now, I, to, I, to this, I say good riddance. 35% uh -huh. decline. We're going to lose about 2,800 of them over the next 10 years. They only make 42 grand anyway. Yeah. Now, I, I imagine there's probably some digital component to this, or maybe they're going to use drones or some other automated way of doing parking enforcement. I have seen, in a slightly unrelated tangent that I'm going to take us on, I have seen Parking Garages Institute a monthly subscription. Oh, yeah. And so they're just going to get your money anyway. They don't have to worry about, you know, you're going to park here for an hour or whatever. Uh, because parking enforcement's a pain in the ass. You got to send somebody in there to to deal with it, and you know who's there long enough to care. Yeah. Makes Number sense. one. This one to me is an absolute no brainer. Word processors and typists. I don't even know what that is. Gone. What is it? Well, the only the the most prominent person I can think of for a job like this is perhaps the court reporter. 
Interesting. Okay. The person that's off on the side with their little tiny typewriter that's speaking in the special code, um, they'll probably stick around because that it has to be like that. But everybody else uses voice recognition. Yeah. So we're going to lose 36% of those jobs, which is approximately 16,000 positions over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, they only make 41 grand. So it seems like all of these positions, other than the nuclear one, had pretty low or lower wages than the one. Yeah, they all have horrible salaries. I think the best, the number two on the list was watch and clock repair, uh, which is $45,000, which again, if you still have a watch, it's because you want a watch. Just like if you still have a horse in this day and age, it's because you want a horse. So that's a specialized person doing specialized work. It's not a, I I wouldn't classify it as a trade, so to speak. (laughs) When I moved out here, I got rid of my watch, man. That's awesome. Yeah, because I have a phone. It's got a clock on it anyway. Oh, <laughs> well, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> well, that so you, I can't. It's, you got uh, me on that one. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, Mr. that's right. Oh, I just went from six to 11, man. <laughs> six to midnight. <laughs> I guess oh, the creek's kicking in. I had a uh, I had a war going for a while in our twenties with uh, with our friend Queen Nugent, where we would fight over who had the most credit cards with the highest credit card limit, and uh, I was matching him mm-hmm. tit for tat. And then we had golf outfits, and I was matching him tit for tat. And then we got into watches, and I got married, and he didn't, so he won. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know that our, our mutual friends when I was getting married were really pushing Triple B to get me a really nice watch as opposed to a ring. And I kept telling them that's a waste. I, I don't wear them. I never want to wear them. I'm not yep. a watch guy. Well, I, I believe in the me. engagement watch. And I think perhaps that should be a segment in a future episode because I think the engagement ring, two months salary for an engagement ring, I believe there should be some Me Tooism here with a little reciprocity. For an engagement watch, perhaps one month salary, but we'll get into it later. <laughs> Visualcapitalist.com. That's it for business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from the Instagrams. Leon, there's a company called Tushy. Mm-hmm. Tushy makes bidets do you know what a bidet is it's well named and i do know bidets and i have many stories about bidets that frustrate me but you go ahead well i have a bidet and i love it okay i have a bidet in my master bathroom which i don't remember if you saw when you came over but the next time you come over i'm absolutely going to make you sit on it it is the most fascinating technology ever so (laughs) for those of you bobs listening at home that aren't quite familiar with what a bidet is i want you to picture a toilet and I want you to picture a toilet with a fire hose in it. And as you're sitting on the toilet, you do your business. You, you, you drop the, you drop the Browns in the Super Bowl, and then you hit push a button and the fire hose turns on and it's nice warm water that fire hoses right up at your culo. Yee! Right up in there. <laughs> Fucking miracle of modern technology. It's for washing your backside, right? Some nid bitch put two dunnies in here. So, Tushy 
which is a manufacturer of bidets. And you'll see this in the, in the show notes. This is a link from their Instagram page. They basically said, Hey, you're watching the Super Bowl. You're going to have to take a shit. Why don't you take a picture of your shit? And send it to us. Awesome. For I their mean, Instagram feed. Yeah. How horrible was that feed? Did you go to it after that? Well, there was a thing that went through like in my late twenties, uh, after we stopped going to Glamis, there was a, another a group of guys that liked to go out on dirt bikes that I hung out with at the office. And they talked about the new chief and the new chief to them was the longest single piece of fecal matter that they've ever recorded. And so that was kind of a run on gag through my early thirties of when we were in a trade show or whatever, we would get a picture and the picture would say the new chief and nobody ever measured it because that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is that if you get somebody to open up their text messages and they vomit, you win. <laughs> so I thought about the new chief as I was reading this Instagram post, it says, hello, Tushy is the account on Instagram. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about poo? Wonderful. We're celebrating your super bowels and we want to see all that spirit in your toilet bowl for a chance to win $10,000. Send us a photo of your poop bonus points. If you let us know the meal that it used to be, here's how to enter follow at hello tushy. Like this post, post your poop, pick and tag at hello tushy with hashtag tushy super bowel or direct message us to pick. If you're poop shy, official Mm -hmm. rules located in the bio, blah, 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 blah. The contest began right at the beginning of the Super Bowl and ended approximately a day and a half later. So that was it. You got a day and a half to take a picture of your shit and send it in. Mm. Yeah, some people so, can't process a Super Bowl meal that quick. I'm I'm mildly fascinated. They don't actually list who the winner was in their Instagram feed, but I this got twelve hundred likes. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That like is this awesome. Is for, for, for the ladies, for the lady bobs listening, this is a thing that dudes do with each other. Like if we're drinking and you take a particularly long shit, you'll probably take a picture of it before you wipe and cover it with toilet paper and you'll send it to your friend and you go, wishing you lots of luck on your interview tomorrow. And it's kind of a thing. It's juvenile and sophomoric and awful. Uh, guaranteed for a laugh. Gotta say. Look, that's marketing genius. They knew it was going to get a rise out of everybody. They, I mean, I'm honestly surprised it's only 1,200 likes. I thought that would light up like wildfire. And as a matter of fact, I think if they do it every Super Bowl, it's going to become epic. Right. So it's not the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. Which I thought was very mm-hmm. clever as a marketer. Yeah. Yeah. I feel but, bad today. Uh, their uh, social media person, which should have been one of the growing roles out there, I might add. I think you know what the social, social media person that has this account has the best job ever because it's poop yeah. jokes for life. <laughs> like we laugh about this shit on our own time. Imagine if you get paid for this. This is like being oh, yeah. paid to play video games. This this is one of the best jobs ever. Don't cry for the social media manager at Tushy. Only once a year when they have to look at 12, 1,200 piles of shit. All right. It's, I mean, think about the person that does toilet paper for Procter & Gamble. Like, your life is shit. <laughs> that is your one job. How do your customers shit and how do they feel about it? 
No, it, no, the porta potty suckers of the planet, they're doing God's work. I mean, what they do is the worst job. It's just oh, I watched there's an Australian movie. What? There's a there's an Australian movie about a guy that empties porta potties. Yeah. Well, I'll have to think about it for, for a future episode, but he's he's got some funny Australianisms. Like one of them is uh, <laughs> there's a smell down there that'll outlast religion. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up for you, Leon. I'm gonna I'm gonna share it later on. But that's there's a movie about a porta potty emptor in Australia, and it's epic. Oh, and that's just the worst job on the planet. Good times. Anyway, that wraps up the crank file. Let's get ourselves to Because Florida. This one has a multiple news sources, so I decided to pick NBC News on this one. And I, I, I don't have a lot of words here. Leon, I'm going to need you to back me up here, but this is, uh, I, I don't know which way this one's going to go. Some of our recent Because Florida stories have kind of left us flat and disappointed. So we'll see where this one takes us. The headline reads, Florida teacher beaten and hospitalized after attack by a five-year-old student. The victim could blink and breathe regularly, quote unquote, but was not able to vocally respond, quote unquote, following a beating at Pine Lakes Elementary School in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Go ahead, Leon. I mean, right off the bat, you you have to, you can't help. There's like a little giggle that goes on. How is that possible? How does anyone get their ass kicked by a five-year-old? I mean, that's what everyone's saying, right? But also, it seems like this person's very hurt. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we got, so can't, I got, you can't laugh too hard, but you got to know the details. Like, with what? Okay, so <laughs> what? violent, violent five-year-olds, Florida. Here we go. Let's light this candle. A South Florida teacher was taken to the hospital last week after she was attacked by a five-year-old student, leaving her dazed and unresponsive, officials said Monday. The unidentified instructor was found by first responders sitting on the ground against the wall and, quote, appearing to be in a faint state at Pine Lakes Elementary School, about 15 miles southwest of downtown Fort Lauderdale. According to a heavily redacted Pembroke Pines Police Department instant report, heavily redacted. The victim was clearly weak and dazed, able to blink and breathe regularly, but at no point was able to vocalize, vocally respond, or show signs of a response. The troubling incident started when a five-year-old boy had to be removed from class for throwing things around and, quote, flipping the chairs. The youngster was taken to an empty, quote, cool-down, unquote, room where the attack on the teacher allegedly took place. The teacher was taken to Memorial Regional Hospital in Hollywood and has since been released, officials said. It's almost the, getting worse. It's all like she she got her ass kicked in a cool down. <laughs> no, 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 this gets better. This gets better. While okay. the young suspect is still being investigated for possible aggravated assault, it's unlikely he'll be criminally prosecuted, as police spokesman told NBC News. Prosecutors would be hard pressed to show that this five year old had the ability to distinguish right from wrong. The victim in her late thirties or early forties. Stop it. Is five foot four with a slender frame. Oh Broward gosh. Teachers Union President Ann Fusco told NBC News she suffered a concussion and other injuries after the enraged 
special education student between 50 and 60 pounds unleashed on the teacher, according to the union chief. Pause. The instructor had been leading an exceptional student education class with a group of children with some type of special needs or special disability with all kinds of different diagnoses. The way he pounced on her and the way she fell backwards and smacked her head, it was a severe concussion. She's got some other bodily injuries from him jumping on her, attacking her, kicking, punching, biting that's going to lead to surgery. Broward County Public Schools officials referred all questions to police. The district, though, did share a message that Principal Suzanne Sass sent to parents and staff acknowledging there had been an incident that occurred in school, quote unquote, which required, quote, a staff member to be transported to a local medical facility, unquote, on Wednesday. At all times during the incident, our campus was secured. As always, the health, safety, and well-being of our students and staff continues to be my highest priority. School is nearly the 800 students who range in age from pre-kindergarten through fifth grade. So it sounds to me, just off of this article alone, that the teacher was clumsy, fell, fell backwards, concussed herself, and then this child took advantage and beat the shit out of her while she was down and down and out. That, that's the only way it could possibly happen, right? Special needs teacher, late 30s, early 40s, five foot four, slender, gets taken down by a 50 pound special needs kid and suffers a concussion. So it's a tragedy. It's horrible, but it is also Florida. It is so Florida. If only Mr. Jones was here to chime in. I know. I'd love story. it if he showed up for this stuff, you know, part-timer. Yeah, I love coming in as the story ah, like over. Is. And I have no idea what's going on, but let me guess. Because Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jones has joined us. He is the Pharaoh of Finance, the Sultan of Soccer, and the Khan of Contra Costa. <laughs> Welcome, sir. The Hello, empty in the, in the empty chair. <laughs> <laughs> As it is, uh, I'll be looking forward when this daylight savings thing starts so uh, we can be on the same time zone, gentlemen. It's a little mm -hmm. tough at this 8.30 start because uh, it's when my son likes to get his bath and go to bed. Mm. Well, you mm. came nice. in just in time for a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years, it's the mileage. Boys, I don't have a URL link for tonight's parenting. I wanted to relay to you a story about, I won't call it an incident. I don't think that's what it was. It was, um, it was an experience that I had with my nine-year-old. Uh, a couple of days ago. So it's a very rare occasion that my wife and I actually get to watch the news and uh, everybody's got their favorite. My brother-in-law loves Lester Holt. We're Nora O'Donnell fans because I like Nora. If I'm going to listen to regurgitated uh, vanilla news, I would like somebody attractive. So I'm a Nora O'Donnell fan for CBS News. And 
Nora was going over some highlights of the action over in Ukraine, uh, all the bad stuff that's happening, the, the bombing, the missiles, the tanks, the attacks on civilian infrastructure, all the bad stuff that, that Vladimir Putin is doing for whatever his crazy reasons are. If he wants to be the next King Nicholas Tsar of Russia or if he wants to destabilize NATO, there's tons of pundits are talking about what he wants. Regardless of what he wants, he's doing bad things. So we're watching the news. We figure the kids are playing in another room. They're not. They're coming in because they want to know what mom and dad are doing. And the great tragedy of watching the news is at some point, your children are going to be exposed to something you'd rather not talk about. Well, we got to talk about war. And so I had to try and explain a kind of quick primer on geopolitics with a nine-year-old. And the best thing that I could come up with was Vladimir Putin is a bully. And how do we treat bullies? And how do you feel about bullies? And... Um, it was difficult because they were talking to some war photographers. And the interesting thing about CNN is they're kind of going back to their roots. Because if you guys remember, CNN really came to prominence during 90, 91 in the Gulf Wars. They went over and they were actually doing real war correspondent shit. And um, historically speaking, the reason that the Vietnam War turned is because photographers went over there and took pictures. And... The government lost Walter Cronkite and it changed the tide. And so what you, there are various opinions on this. So I'm going to give Danny's opinion. This is my opinion for, for the Bobs listening out there. The reason that reporters are allowed to embed themselves with United States forces is not under some form of transparency clause. It's so that the army can, or the military force that they're embedded with can dictate what they're allowed to see. What you're seeing now is the real horror and totality of war. There are missile strikes that are killing families. There's really, really bad shit going on. And so what I had to try and explain to my children, thankfully the six-year-old couldn't be bothered, but the nine-year-old's got a lot of empathy. So the nine-year-old's trying to understand the world around him. And the best thing I could come to was, this is war, pal. Nobody wins. You like Star Wars, Clone Wars, you like your dart guns, you've got a lot of tanks, you're building Jaegers from Pacific Rim. This is real adult war. And despite what you may think and what you may hear, nobody wins. So it's a little heavy for the podcast, but I thought we'd broach it because from time to time we do go there. I thought tonight would be one of those nights. And because... Uh, Leon's got a little girl about the age of my youngest who didn't give a shit one way or the other. And Mr. Jones is about to bring somebody into the world. I thought this might be an interesting topic of conversation. You guys have any thoughts about that? Let's start with Leon. I mean, I think that war is one of those things that is always going to be prevalent. And it is one of those things that we have to... It's always going on, by the way. It's just when do we decide to focus in and care? And that's that's the saddest part, right? I mean, they've been having war in the Middle East for a very long time. You know, you look at Yemen, you look at many places in Africa. I can't even name them off, and I should be ashamed 
that I don't know all these places because it's, it's just like crime right now. You, you just go numb. You're like, it sucks. It's horrible. And I'm going to fully ostrich this moment and put my head in the sand and try to go about, go on with my life and pretend that that's not going on because it's not in my face and I can't worry about things that are 9,000 miles away. And at the same time, it has such a profound effect on our lives and you can't do that. And we talked a couple episodes back about how important it is that parents engage in conversations, even if they're hard with their kids. Absolutely. That's the most, that's the most important thing is that you're a part of the conversation. Don't let other people, other teachers, other family members, other TV shows and, and radio personalities dictate the narrative for you, you know, be a part of it be a part of your children's life and help explain it to the best of your ability. So I think you nailed it. Right. And, and you're right. Uh, our view of war is changing. Social media has done that for us. Uh, one, one thing's for sure. Uh, our view politically, right. I think if you were to look at what's going on from the Western world, you would say that the Ukrainian president is winning the media war because he's very likable and he's very killing the information war for sure. He's very good at asking the right questions. And I think his quote uh, that he said, I don't need a ride. I don't need a ride. I need guns. Those types of things are going to go down in history because he knows how important it is. And that now cameras are always on him and you have to, you have to, present an image and, and Vladimir Putin's no different, right? I mean, there's no surprise why the guy was shirtless riding around on a horse. I'm just surprised it wasn't on a bull. You know, it's very important <laughs> for a him. bear. Yeah. Or a bear to, to, to have a certain image thrown out into the world. And I think all you can do is have a conversation. You can share your beliefs with your children. They're going to get their own. They're going to form their own opinions. All you can do is your best to provide real information or at least whatever information you have for them. So that's my two cents on, on sharing that information with them. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously I'm not, I have a child that only knows about five words versus, you know, you gentlemen have, you know, kids that you can have conversations with, but you know, this is all kind of circling the, what is good to expose children with in what is not, um, you know, uh, it could go anywhere to, to, you know, conversations about race. It can go also the way in monetary and, you know, money and, and one, it's all like senses of, when is it a good time to expose them to what is truthfully reality? Um, because these things will always be around as the question is, is how much do we pay attention to it, to what Leon was saying? So um, I, I echo the same kind of comments um, from you both. I just think it's interesting. Um, you know, what is, how far do you take it? Um, how, what kind of photos do you show? I mean, obviously, if you take the Vietnam War, some of the most memorable photos are, you know, ones that are also some of the most painful to watch. Um, 
of, you know, bodies or, you know, the little girl standing in the middle of a rice paddy who's, you know, just been napalmed. It's, those are all images that stick to us for the rest of our life as, you know, children, in some cases when you're exposed to it. And it's a question of what's the impact of that image. So I asked then it's like, you know, it's good to, depending on their age to expose them, but not maybe go all the way and, and kind of really establish what is truly going on, but just to kind of more an understanding for children. So they're not so naive or they wouldn't be so shocked later down the line when you show them more graphic or more things that are actually happening in this world. The world's a bad place. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on out there. I think lots of times we just get used to our day-to-day lives and, um, which is shielding children too, because then we don't have to expose them to our doorstep, like people in Ukraine or how people in Poland would be feeling right now. Or, um, as you bring up Africa or India and any of the Middle East countries, Israel, for instance. So the picture that they showed on the CBS evening news was a missile strike and a family got taken out and the reporter caught all of it. And I think they were smart enough to censor it because it was the six o'clock news. Now I can probably go find that image somewhere online. So I don't, I don't want to get into the entire media censorship debate, but at some point my nine-year-old said, okay, I've had enough. And he knew enough for his own sake to say, I don't need to see this right now, but we had also paused it and I didn't want to go any further because I didn't know what else they were going to share. It turns out they didn't share anything. Uh, But there is, there's kind of a, there's a dual class argument of how much do you need to see on a primetime mass broadcast, which I think is a separate talk show versus how much do you need your children to see to prepare them for the world? And I felt that a a tiny taste was enough such that I'm not going to take away their dart guns or their monster killing Pacific Rim Jaegers. I'm not going to take away clone wars. I'm not going to take away any of that. I just want to give him a flavor of, this is make believe. The real thing is awful. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what I would lead with for any of the Bobs listening that have kids. If you haven't had this discussion yet, probably want to get on it. Well, honestly, I think, I think you nailed it. And I wish here's the thing though. There's people from the age of 15 to 50 that don't understand that. And how horrifying it really is. And and I don't. I mean, I've never been in a war. We have a lot of really incredibly brave people in this country that have fought for us that know exactly what it's about and how bad it sucks. And I'm going to have to take their word for it, but... You can't blow it off. You can't ignore it. And so introducing it, I think, is a good move. Not overkilling it, though. So that wraps up parenting. Let's, uh, I, I, I won't say let's get on to lighter fare because we know what time it is. It's time for Leon Loads. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. 
We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. You know, if if Mr. Jones didn't make it tonight, I was going to have to change this. But I'm so glad he made it. Because I do have a little bit to say about a topic that I know is near and dear to his heart. Oh, I hope you go there. I'm waiting for it. Lay it on me. Come on now. I am so sick and tired. And tired. Of these strikes in professional sports. Oh, no. You went no, there. You know. oh. <laughs> Man, it's got to Talk eat. about the defensive shift. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to the time clock. No, no. It's an easy week, right? I've already talked about the clock. We've I've gone way off already the rails on how how stupid I think daylight savings is. Uh, you know, politics are upside down. We have ridiculous things going on across the country. But what's really irking me right now is while all of this is happening, adult Men and women cannot sit in a room in a timely fashion and hash shit out. And we all have to sit on the sidelines while they posture and have a pissing contest and completely ruin the national pastime of sports in America. Now, listen, (laughs) last time this happened, we all turned on him. It was bad. It was really, really bad for baseball. We turned on the players, right? Yeah, we turned on the players. We turned on the owners. We turned on the sport. And the only thing brought it back was two juiced up hitters on a home run contest that both of them are ostracized from the sport because of the steroids they took. But if it wasn't for Sosa and McGuire, baseball was in really dire straits. They brought everybody back to the sport because it sucked. Tell me I'm wrong, Mr. Jones, because I, I know you know baseball better than me. I think that's that, The timing of that was so important because everybody was so angry at baseball. It now, was I'm, the most important thing to bring people back. You're right. I am yeah. not picking on baseball specifically, but the timeliness right now of baseball and what they're going through, it's no different. Hockey went through it a couple of years ago. We've seen the NFL go through it. What's what's specifically angry makes me angry is they knew this shit was coming up for the last month and a half years. Sorry. Yeah. Years. They knew this was coming up. This is the same bullshit the government does where they all just put their hands in their pockets and then wait till, you know, the last minute to try to come up with a negotiation. So the government doesn't shut down or they shut it down for a week. Like this is not okay for professional adults who are providing a service or anything to us, John Q public out there that are expecting this to come out there. And then you expect us to just go, okay, you worked it all out. I'm happy with what you did. And uh, let's all just go back and be in friends. They're damaging the brand. They're damaging themselves. Baseball doesn't have too much more credibility I, they're getting they have been getting their ass kicked by the other sports out there they have been you know and i think 
they've been doing a lot of things right. They've been exploring with, you know, pitch timers and how to speed up the game and, you know, do we, don't we keep the DH, you know, all these things are very good things to try to make the sport more entertaining. Same thing that's happening. And, you know, I watch golf a lot, right? This whole thing that happened with Phil recently where he, try to defect and create a whole new league that happened over in <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Right. And him and, uh, and, and basically he got ostracized from the PGA and they like virtually have kicked him out right now. So all that's happening. And, but it's, it's not the PGA had an event this week, right? They don't stop unless there's a pandemic, but Football and baseball and hockey have all suffered not having games because adult can't get in a room and have an adult conversation and work this out. And typically, they both point at each other and say greed, right? When we know that's not the issue. It's just a conversation about fairness. They're going to come to an inevitable conclusion. It's just going to punish the game that we like. So I'm, I'm very irritated. Not that the conversation happens because I believe it needs to happen. And I'm not saying that one side is right or the other side's right. My point is, why didn't this shit get done a long time ago? And why did we have to wait and use the product as the leverage? And make us the victims. Your consumers have to why, be. Why punish the fans? Absolutely. Why are we the ones getting punished? So, Mr. Jones, I need you to chime in on this as the resident baseball fanatic in this group. I'm a, you know, in the world of negotiations, you don't really get anywhere until the you know twelfth hour or whatever it is. It it is kind of ridiculous. It's nice. I'm going to say it's nice. They resolved this one in 99 days versus 256 days, which was the last strike. Um, and that was very, have they, have they resolved it? Yeah. It's yeah. It was done today. Oh, so as of, as of recording, it's been resolved as of recording, um, March 10th. Excellent. Today. So there were, uh, points on both sides. Um, I'm not an expert, but we'll just look at it simply the players wanted the amount of cap to go up. If the cap goes up that means the players will make more money and they can get more money versus, you know, being kind of fed a contract to say like, well, the cap is at X. That means all you're going to get is Y or, you know, 10, 10 million dollars for this year. Salary cap. Yep. If you had the cap higher, they can get higher. So it was very much rejected by the, by the owners. Cause that was a big thing. And then the owners on the flip side were like, we need to have a few things, you know, that speed the game up to Leon's point. It's been very important because they are losing, losing viewerships. It is a slow game. Um, it just isn't what it used to be. And I think the com- competition for entertainment today is not what it was when, you know, baseball was in its heyday. There's just too much from video games and Facebooks and podcasts and all of what's in here to, to grab attention. So, you know, it, it was important. I think, you know, it's interesting now the DH is going to be in the national league. Yay. Power hitters now get paid more money. That's kind of cool. So no more pitchers um, batting anymore. Yeah, it looks that way. Um, and then the other thing I thought was actually cool. And I, I'm a fan of this and Leon, I, I don't know. It, it's, I'm not a fan of the shift. I'm not a fan of, you know, adding another outfielder. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. 
So what now it is, is it, you know, at time of pitch, all four infielders have to be on the dirt. So you can play a shift, but you can't be playing in like, you know, the mid, the mid range right field or whatever it is, um, you know, kind of covering. So uh, look, time is in the details. We'll see how this plays out. If the game gets more exciting, cool. If it's still just kind of moseys along as it has been for years, we'll see. Uh, but we yeah. do have baseball season's going to start on the 14th, I believe two weeks late a week, two weeks late. That's my point. We lost two weeks. Two weeks. We lost two weeks. Um, Bear in mind, I, I for one we were supposed that- to have a live version of this podcast two years ago. Yeah. So the whole idea yeah. of baseball starting late chafes me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's now, no, yeah. no, every hitting record, every pitching record, uh-huh. every record will have an asterisk next to it for this year. Amount because of wins, amount of at bats, all of the smaller. It's all That's bullshit. Yeah. Because these they couldn't get it done, which is they were going to get there. They were always going to get to where they got today. And losing games didn't change that. That's my point. Yep. So it's frustrating that they damaged the product so bad. Uh, to answer your question about the shift, I don't care about the shift because I think if you're a good hitter, you could really expose it. That's how yeah. I feel. I, you know, you always wonder, I'm like, why are you guys in the shit? Just bunt the ball down third base. God, this is what we were taught to do. And all day, like, all day, bunt the ball down. Like, just do it. I, I like, would do why it. is this so hard? Yeah, yeah it seems like a silly concession for the defense, but all right, whatever. I think the pitch clock is, is interesting. Uh, yeah, but yeah, base, baseball is, is, is probably one of the only games that you, well, I'm, yeah, I mean, from my experience, baseball is the is one of the only games that you get more out of television than you do live. Say that again. You feel like you get more out of the television version of baseball than you do live? Yeah, to be honest with you, I do. I completely disagree. disagree with I it. love yeah. hockey. Well, live yeah. hockey to me is so exciting. Yes. Okay. And even live soccer to me is so exciting. Yes. But you know the given, worst is football. Football. Ah, uh, okay. I have no so idea. That's what's going fair. On. That's fair. I'll Couldn't give you agree. that. But football, I mean, TV we, we go to, to a baseball game, and the challenge about a good baseball game is that good, really, really, really good defense makes for a boring game. Unless you've got twenty-seven pitches and the game's over, pitching is is. I don't think pitching is as exciting as hitting. No. So what is what is the football equivalent? Well, it's just football. One or two yards per carry, and they only run. Well, it would be, I mean, it would, it would be playing the Lombardi way, where it's just you run the ball all day long, and you get a first down. You yeah, run the yeah. ball and you eat the clock out. That's what defense all, would all day long. That's what it would you look run like. the ball and you get two yards per carry. Like that is mm-hmm. boring fucking football. Mm-hmm. And pitching by itself from the grandstands when you can't see anything, unless you're really good about like so. We understand pitching because we're students of the game and we have a resource like Mr. Jones. Like I have a resource for NASCAR, so I enjoy NASCAR. Mr. Jones is a resource for soccer, so I now enjoy soccer. But if you don't understand the game, then at face value, pitching is boring. And so that's why I say if you're way up in the nosebleed seats, you don't really understand how exciting pitching can be other than the crack of the bat, a situation where a runner gets caught between bases, a nice two, three, four double play. Like those are, those are exciting moments. 
that you, you really only get the good stuff on television. All right. So Mr. Jones, I have some things that will make baseball more exciting and I'm going to pitch them to you and I want to hear your thoughts. I don't think I'm going to regret this go. All right. First one. I'm sorry. I know we're running over and uh, you know, Danny, you'll, you'll have to find a way do to, what you do. Show to Okay. So first one, you can't have more than three pitchers in a game. If you go over three pitchers, every pitcher you add is a run against you. Go. That's an interesting one. I like I think it. three's too short. Um, you can have four, but you're going to have to give up a run. I like it. Well, it'd be an interesting one. I, I would, I would put, say five pitchers and then it starts costing you. Too much. That's, that's the slowness of the game though. These fuckers keep coming out and doing all these warm-ups. Yeah, and but more than one trips can't. to the mound is a run. No, that's dumb. You need those. Those are important. Those are important for strategy. So you don't you play the defensive side of the game. They're uh, important. Broken bat and you're out. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Don't go back to metal then. Yeah, no kidding. But concussion uh, galore. But you know what that would do is that would prolong how long the pitchers are out there. You'd start to see some more hits. You'd start yeah, to have longer innings, and then you couldn't get out. And then it's like, well, what's the point? So it's the cost. Know, it's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. Second, no. uh, all right, all right. You're not for that plan. I get mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, any overtime innings, you have to spin on your head the bat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think they're going to bases loaded. I think I don't, I, they were discussing maybe bases loaded instead of a runner on second, which I do believe is a positive step for this game where you Ooh. stop these super long games where at, in extra innings, you start with a runner on second. I truly believe. I like because it. Because I, I watch games it. in the 23rd inning. What? Little League does it. Yeah, it's important. We don't need to have 23 inning games. No one wants the 23 inning game. We we want nine. If you have a winner, cake fun, we'll go to sudden death or whatever it is, and it's done. Like, I get that. Fine. I don't want to watch 23 innings of baseball. Sorry. I know it's free. It's not what I'm in for. Okay. Second suggestion allow fighting, but also add a penalty box. Go. I'm for it. I kind of like that one, actually. I'm sick and tired of these like pitchers. And batters, you know, the cockiness of them. It'd be great to watch Manny Machado just get completely like, like lead the league in most minutes in the penalty box. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Nolan I, Ryan take somebody the fuck out once? Yeah. Got him in a headlock and started punching him. It's great. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, everybody watches that when, when that happens. They just let you fight. <laughs> There's people skating around with no stick. <laughs> Now, yeah, you could do you I, could do the hockey dynamic. You could introduce a bruiser. Yeah, what's his batting average? Whatever, man. He's just there when the bench is clear. He's, That's his he's job. just there to charge the mound. That's all he's there for. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. All right. Uh, all the, the players. I like that one though. All the players have to do a shot for every run. Oh, Go. No. 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 No alcohol in sports. That okay. would be the These best. Are That's like the Golden Globes of baseball. Yeah, tell the babe that. <laughs> There's a hot dog and a hummer on me. I'm going to call my shot. Uh, tell the blonde up in row three that she's coming to the hotel tonight. Babe, you're, you, you got a bet right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, my point is there are some things they can do. And I know that 
you have two classes of people and I know mm-hmm. many of the purists out there and I'm on board, right? There's all these records. You got the hall of fame. It's a pure sport and blah, 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 blah. But you have to know what you, you at the end of the day, it's an entertainment function. That's what it is. It's for entertainment. Right. And this is something that golf is struggling with right now. They're constantly making adjustments to the game because these players are getting stronger and they're hitting it farther. They're hitting it so far that the average golfer can't play these courses. Nobody can, no, we can't, I cannot hit it 345, 50 yards. I can't play the game they're playing. So it, it's hard for us to start to play the same game they're playing. So then they start to mess with their equipment. Oh, well, you can't have this many grooves and you can't have this kind of ball. And you, you know, and they're trying Sounding to make like a, NASCAR. Yeah. They're trying well, to make well, adjustments wait a minute. to can the you, game. Can you play on a professional size baseball field? What's the, what's the likelihood of that? All baseball well, that, fields are different. They're not the same. Yeah. So you need a pro size golf course. Well, that's what the tees are for, right? You got the tips and then you got the ones that are up in the front. That's, that's pretty much how they, they counter it. But how far can you put them back? I guess is, is where we're getting at, but yeah, they're making, they're making, I think they may need to make the clubs more standardized. Oh, that'll be interesting. They make adjustments, right? Like pros start to figure something out. Like if you remember two or three years ago, they had anchored putters and all of a sudden all these putters are just draining monster putts from 20 feet. They're like, all right, no, no more of that. No We're good. getting rid of the yeah. anchor putters. Yeah, we need a moving basket. Yeah. So let, let's get rid of that. So and they did you, take, sorry, go I, ahead. The point is though, is it like, how does that add to the entertainment? I, I guess wasn't the putter Competition. the good thing? Yeah. No. But like, if the guy's draining 20 front putts, is that awesome? He's scoring like a 60, a 67, that's, Yeah, that's 68. an interesting comment because it's Most not really sport in the sense of offense versus defense. It's not one against the other. Now, I will tell you as a golf fan, and again, I'm probably as much of a golf watching fan as you are as a baseball watching fan. I've been watching it for 20 years plus. i massive fan. And the Masters or the U.S. Open, or the British Open when it's really, or the Open, as they call it now, when it's really tough, when the score is one or two under par or even, are the best tournaments to watch. Because me, the amateur, enjoys watching them struggle too. So we also like seeing them do miraculous shots that I could never pull off. And 100%. that's, that's what makes golf exciting for me. And if the pool gets really, really wide to where all of a sudden it's negative 22 on Saturday and you haven't even flipped into the next day, the golfers don't enjoy it. The viewers don't enjoy it. It's not that fun to watch. It's just, it's not, it's not that fun to watch. So isn't, it, isn't that interesting? The dynamic where like the reality is, is that golf in general is more exciting when the score is high mm-hmm. versus the flip side that yeah, I think you're right. When golf is like they're 12, 15 under par, it's boring as shit because right. they're now doing things and like, it's just <sighs> the idea of like a amateur, like myself getting, you know, three birdies in a par in a row 
it's just not going to happen. And these guys are just doing it over and over and over again to get the card under and under. So I get your point. I think some of the, some of the best tournaments I've ever watched at the British open when they're basically even on a windy day at like St. Aug- or was it St. Augustine or St. Andrews national St. Andrews, yeah. Andrews, like, like a windy day at St. Andrews watching them play. And that is fun because it it's is awesome hard well as a baseball analogy and you you know this was happening there was uh when all of a sudden you're getting two to three four home runs a game every mm-hmm. game the home run loses its luster you're not that excited to yeah. watch a home run go out anymore like one swing and it's over you know yeah, yeah scarcity. you just keep you just keep watching it so birdies are supposed to be exciting and rare and now they're super common. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's where, that's where you're, you, you want to see some spectacular things happen. And again, I, I'm totally, I'm totally diverted off of this, but yeah. I think at, at the end of the day, I think it's really, really important to understand that this is entertainment. I'm the consumer. Stop fucking around with the sport that I'm watching get it on time you know they seem to care so much about changing the rules because it might affect the hall of fame or the legacy they have no problem completely destroying a year like 2022's 2022-2023 seasons destroyed all the records everything has an asterisk now and that's not okay it's not okay so the fans deserve more yeah. Amen. You need you need to do better. So that's my that's my loathes today. So thank you for the extra time and engagement in my loath. Good loath, Leon. Thank you. All right, let's get to the bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet. As we close today's episode, I found a very interesting statistic here. December 31st, the year 1759, Arthur Guinness signed a 9,000-year lease. And began brewing at Dublin's St. James Gate. So if everybody else is having issues with housing or trying to find a place, Arthur locked that shit up once upon a time. (laughs) Well done, Arthur. That is our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and more importantly, share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>